Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Powers, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast today. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey covering real estate, business, entrepreneurship, and investing. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at Fort Worth Chris on Twitter. Hey guys, it's Chris. Thanks for tuning in to The Fort. Today is May 22nd, Friday, and it's been about 30 days since I did my last kind of update on just what I'm seeing and thinking about in commercial real estate. So going to uh, just go through some thoughts and things that we've been doing and thinking about. All right, we'll get started. First thing I'll kind of talk about is capital markets. Um, we're starting to see them open back up, really, especially for private banks, um, small community and regional banks. A lot of the beginning of April into March and, and into April was spent processing PPP loans. So there's, there's very few bankers I've talked to that weren't just inundated all month of April. And because of that, a lot of business as normal things tended to be kind of put on the back burner. Starting in like late April, early May, you started to see that kind of turn and uh, a lot more kind of business back to usual things um, were starting to happen. I said in our last 30-day update, we've been focused a lot working with our banks on either loan modifications or refinances. Um, It's a lot harder right now still to get a cash out refinance, still a lot more scrutiny. But there are a lot of banks willing to do a refinance more as a uh, just exchanging one loan balance for another. But our goal has really been to keep our relationships with the banks that we have and work on modifying them rather than refinancing them with new banks. And um, it's worked out well. We're starting to hear of several deals in the multifamily and industrial space that that are actually new deals uh, starting to take shape and have seen a number of term sheets, uh, I can't say for multifamily, but in industrial uh, that are uh, quotes that were kind of back to pre-COVID underwriting, which has been positive to see the spreads have really come in. Multifamily is more hearsay and folks that I've been talking to, but in those two asset classes, we're starting to see debt kind of come back in line with where we were in late February, early March. And then equity is beginning to look at new deals again. I think anything you're reading right now, I read an article this morning, there's 47 billion of new distressed funds that have been raised, but mainly focused on buying distressed loans. Um, But in the kind of world that we live in, which is transacting property, you're starting to see equity groups take meetings again um, and really focus on, you know, deploying capital. Um, and a big reason that they haven't been doing that one is because obviously everybody's unsure about what's going on, but a lot of the equity that's on the coasts have not been able to fly in and, and touch assets, um, especially if they're not investing in their local market and you're starting to see that again. So, um, it's exciting to see activity pick up Texas, just giving a little bit of update on Texas. Uh, it's really started to come back to life the last couple of weeks. We started phase one in early May, um, and just day by day, you've seen progress. Um, restaurants are starting to open up. I've been to three or four over the last couple of weeks, 
and with the new uh, occupancy rules, so still uh, at a lower occupancy, but the restaurants are, are packed. People are happy. Uh, they're the the waiters and uh, staff are masked up. So are most of the customers. But it's been good to see. And so uh, driving by retail buildings again, it's nice to see cars in the lots and people transacting again. And it's what we need. So. Uh, big kudos to Texas for continuing to safely move forward and uh, take care of both a health situation and an economic situation. Just thought it was something interesting. A buddy of mine had his business tested and there were no positive cases for the coronavirus, but there were positive, positive cases for the antibody, which is what you want. You want people to have the antibody uh, but what was interesting about it was the doctor said that they would be turning that into the state. And the way the CDC reads the statistics is that uh, it would be it would come out as 11 new cases of COVID, um, not 11 new cases of antibody COVID. So I just thought that was an interesting thing. And there's been you know reports that Texas's cases have been up, but the testing is going well. I can say from just being around town. Uh, there's a lot of joy in people's faces, and people are excited that things are starting to feel a little bit more normal again. Certainly don't get the sense that we're uh, out of the woods, but uh, we are in a much different spot than we were 30 days ago, and we're, every day gets a little bit better. Regarding rents, for us personally, I can't speak to everybody, we collected May rents uh, faster and collected more rents in May than we did in April. So May was a much better month for us than April, which was great to see. To be honest with you, didn't think that would be happening. I think it was kind of an industry-wide sentiment that uh, May would be kind of the day of reckoning. And I think that just wasn't the case. I mean, at least for industrial and multifamily and the assets um, that weren't in kind of retail or hospitality. Although I would tell you, I, I know a lot of retail owners in Texas that are seeing a lot of positive momentum in May that they weren't expecting either. And so that's great to hear. I think a lot of that was from tenants receiving their PPP funding. I just think there's people have more clarity and are, are, the panic has subsided and there's more clarity to make decisions. Um, we had several tenants that had been on a deferral program with us true up once they receive their PPP loan. And we've continued to remain super engaged with our tenant base and trying to, you know, create the best win-win situations possible. But May was great. We're hoping the same for June. We haven't had a rent relief request in over a month, which is nice. I think the thing I'm thinking about now going forward is the kind of the new rec uh, reckoning might be sometime during Q3. PPP ends June 30th. And uh, when it ends June 30th, you know, folks are either going to have to send any loan that they got back to the government that wasn't spent, or, you know, they're not going to have, they will not have received any more months of rent for kind of July, August, and September. What they received was for kind of May and June or April, May, and June. And so um, there's just a lot of chatter about what Q3 might look like without the PPP in place. Obviously, that could be uh, the counter to that is even if it falls off, if business starts picking back up, then then it'll offset. And that's what we're hoping for. And then just a question about, you know, we're at 36 to 40 million unemployed right now. 
is how many people are still employed because the PPP loans require them to uh, not let somebody go. So is there, there could, could there be another uh, wave of, uh, of unemployment coming once PPP ends, call it July 1st, end of the second quarter? Again, nobody knows, but it's something to think about, certainly something we're thinking about. I'll talk about industrial for a little bit. Um, that's what we know the most about right now. And I can talk about it really as uh, specific to Texas. There are a lot of deals in the market in Texas already uh, for data centers and new industrial fil- facilities. Uh, word on the street is Google is in the DFW market for two data centers already, and several other tech players are following suit. Their names haven't been announced, and Google's hasn't been publicly announced, but it's been word on the street in the uh, broker community. Second, you've probably read about Tesla making a possible move to Texas based on what they're uh, dealing with in California. Elon, if you're listening to this, come on, brother. We want you down in Texas, man. Our portfolio, we have signed 13 new leases in the last 30 days. Uh, We've signed eight renewals. Uh, We're working on six new renewals and six new leases. We bought two buildings in Uh, The middle of February, one in Houston and one near the DFW airport, both were about about 100,000 feet each, multi-tenant, class B industrial. Uh, One of them is 100% occupied with all leases signed during COVID above our projected rents. And our Houston deal is 92% occupied, again, all above COVID rents. And so those are, again, things that I just couldn't have imagined uh, 60 days ago. And then we're just hearing it across the board. Uh, there is uh, land, industrial land is starting to go back under contract all over DFW. And I think uh, there is just a sentiment for Texas that there is going to be uh, an accelerated migration of people from the coasts coming to this market, uh, more business-friendly environment, uh, better weather, better taxes, Um, And Texas has really kind of positioned itself over the last 30 years to not be so energy independent. DFW is is way more diversified. Houston has become way more diversified. Austin is becoming a a huge tech hub. You're seeing cities like San Antonio explode. El Paso could be a huge winner from uh, manufacturing that's moved back to Mexico and the trade that could come in. Uh, we just got uh, heard the other day that Amazon announced a million square foot build to suit in El Paso for another facility. And there's two other large uh, groups in the market there that would be at around a million square feet each. So that's all really, really good to hear. On multifamily, uh, across the board, I continue to hear reports that were that collections are 92 to 95 percent. And back to our industrial portfolio, we were 95% collected in May. And that is, uh, for anybody listening, you know, you rarely ever truly collect 100% every month. You always have something you're dealing with the larger your portfolio gets. So 95 to 96 is what we, you know, what we shoot for even in a a year or a month that's not COVID. Multifamily continues to be the same thing. I mean, the government's continued to provide unemployment benefits, uh, money going directly into people's accounts. The PPP has kept people employed. And I think what you're seeing is people are going to cut a lot of costs before they cut paying their rent. Uh, They are going to pay to have a place to live if they can. 
this could further accelerate the time, the length that people rent. Um, they might not be going in to buy. Um, they might stay renters. People aren't moving around this year. I think the renewal rate in multifamily was one of the highest ever, if not the highest ever. And so uh, multifamily continues to do well. Construction is still uh, booming. It really never slowed down. I mean, that's the thing about development and construction. There are long lead cycles. If you hear of a development coming out of the ground, you know, today or in the next year, it's, it's, it's good to remember that those deals probably started four years ago. Um, so when a new development is announced, it's not just happening, um, that there's two to three to four years of lag time leading up to it. And then it takes two or three years to develop once they break ground. A lot of these big developments happen over a five to seven year period before they're open. So, you know, and a lot can change from when you break ground to when you open. So there's four and a half million square feet, I think in Dallas, Dallas is kind of urban core slated, uh, of new office that's supposed to be, you know, coming out of the ground somewhere in the next 12 months. Home building has really not slowed down at all. I mean, I, I, I drive by construction sites all the time and people have been working throughout all of this. Multifamily projects, housing, uh, you know, mixed use, office. So have not really seen a slowdown. And in the two deals that we're selling to a developer, that are that we've been under contract with a long time both are still proceeding forward we had a few fallout that we were selling to developers but those were really early on in the contract life there had not been a lot of pre-development time and dollars spent and it was more of a decision of let's pause and hold and we hope to see those deals come back there's a big discussion on work from home and remote becoming the future and office um you know, is dead. I don't believe it. I think that offering work from home and remote opportunities is certainly going to accelerate, but I don't think the office is dead, um, which is a lot of what the headlines read. I could go, you know, into the many reasons why, but I think that human interaction and, and being kind of social creatures and, and being with each other is how you build relationships, which is what business is really built on. Um, I don't think that a lot of the companies that have said they're permanently remote uh, going forward have thought about a lot of the kind of second and third effect consequences that could take place of, you know, relationships uh, starting to deteriorate over time. I think these like happy hour Zoom uh, celebrations are super awkward. And most of the people I talk to think that's the same. Um, it's hard to talk to someone through a Zoom. You can't really look each other in the eye in group settings. You know, people, you know, it's harder to focus. And look, there's certainly industries that that will do really well remote and they're they're kind of built to be remote. But there's a huge subset of the world that doesn't make the headlines every day uh, that require an office type environment, um, that enjoy an office type environment. So when I hear Shopify and Twitter are permanently remote, uh, there are enormous tech companies that have a different business model than a lot of America. And for the rest of America, again, and, I, and I'm one of them, I think that we will offer our employees more uh, work from home days or work remotely. I mean, if this has taught us anything is that we we can be separated for periods of time. But I still am just not buying that the office is dead or anywhere close to dead. In fact, I would I could make an argument that it could become a stronger component of a lot of businesses uh, going forward. So we'll continue to watch that. 
we're not an office investor, so that isn't a uh, pump my own stock type of discussion. I just really don't believe that you know office is dead, and I think the headlines are totally wrong. We are not we're not predicting to buy anything for the next nine to twelve months. Doesn't mean we won't. I think if there is going to be distress in these asset classes, the washout will come later in the year, first quarter next year. We've seen some stuff come through, but just nothing that interesting. Um, you're certainly not seeing distress in industrial right now or multifamily. Um, and for us to jump into another asset class like that, where there might be some distress, you you haven't seen. We haven't seen it get to a price that we would be comfortable jumping in um, into something new. So we're continuing to watch. I think the sentiment continues to be the same. Uh, Q4, Q1, or when you might see the opportunities. You are seeing a lot of opportunities to buy distressed debt, kind of in CMBS, mortgage REITs, those kind of purchases. That's just a different game than we play at the moment. Although I would say the one technology that we have uh, really focused on the last 30 days looking at and will be buying a subscription to is TREP, T-R-E-P-P. It basically tracks all the CMBS debt across the country and is an amazing service to understand what's distressed. And it shows you all the details. Folks that have CMBS loans are required to uh, provide quarterly financials. And you get to basically see all the financials of the assets. You can see the servicers' notes every month. I mean, it really puts you in the seat of the lender. And so that might be a way that we think about buying deals in the future is uh, through buying a distressed loan. So that's been interesting. I uh, had really never spent a whole lot of time on TREP. Um, but interestingly enough, they're, they're kind of counter-cyclical. They're, they're really interesting when things are rough and when everybody's paying their notes, they're not as interesting. And they said the surge in traffic over the last 60 days has been, you know, like a thousand percent or something crazy. Um, but that's how those counter-cyclical industries work. I'll talk a little bit more about what Fort Capital's done the last 30 days um, that have been working for us. Um, I started it last time by just saying, you know, at the at the front of kind of my messaging to the team is just over communicating everything now more than ever, whether it's with our banks, with our vendors, with our tenants, with our team, uh, just communicating right now. Um, people can take good news. People are OK with bad news. What people don't like are surprises. Um, and that has just been the message kind of week in and week out. And we've had a, the amount of feedback that we've had has been huge from all of those that we've been dealing with. And again, we're not always delivering great news, but we're certainly never uh, going silent and we are delivering news as quickly as we can. Um, but we've had a lot of positive news to, to give. We've, we've sent three uh, kind of general investor updates. So typically we send a quarterly update Um, And then at the end of the year, I might send a broad letter to all of our investors just kind of on my thoughts. Uh, We've sent that more broad letter every, I think, the 15th of every month. We sent one at the end of March, middle of April, middle of May, and we'll send another in June. And it's been really well received, more just kind of broadly speaking about what Fort Capital's doing, you know, what we're thinking about and had had a lot of great, uh, it's led to a lot of great conversations uh, with our investors. And so, on core, core is an acronym for cost reduction, overhead management, and revenue generation. It's part of our culture. Uh, everybody on the team is responsible for doing core. 
So no matter what position you're in, there are things that you see every day that you might have an idea for how to save money on or turn something into revenue. And we have a goal of reducing operating expense at the property level by 10% uh, by the end of the year. We'll do a lot of that through property tax reductions, uh, renegotiating contracts with vendors, and things of that nature, and it, all in a win-win spirit, not a win-lose. But everybody's uh, needs to be open to adjusting, and uh, that's what we've seen. And so we've been able to renew long-term contracts with some of our best relationships, um, and they've been great to work with. We've been able to reduce, or st- I guess, kind of jumping into construction, but we've been able to reduce uh, construction costs on CapEx that was being performed, whether it was tenant finish out or anything that we were finished building. And we're really working hard on starting to dial in construction pricing moving forward, rebidding things. Um, And contractors, I don't know about the whole country, but in Texas have a lot of backlog of work. But as they continue to work through that and aren't seeing the pipeline fill up, you're starting to see early signs of price adjustments, which is good to see. Construction's gotten expensive in in Texas. I do think uh, that the fallout in oil and gas and the uh, oil field service contractors that left construction back in the early 2000s will be making their way back into construction services over the next few years talking to a lot of my oil and gas buddies while oil and gas will come back and and will do well i think it will th- there won't be the abundance of capital for everybody to be in the market and for pricing um to kind of go up across the board like it did last time um i think it'll be done a lot more thoughtfully going forward which is great for the industry uh makes things probably a little more sustainable but it's good for construction if a lot of those people end up coming back to construction and helps kind of uh, even out the labor pool, um, brings pricing to where more projects can likely get done that are affordable to tenants. Um, and we'll see. That's just going to play out over the next couple of years. We started bringing, we made a decision last October to create our own in-house property management company. We spent seven months hiring people and getting onboarded. If you've never onboarded to Yardi, uh, call me before you do. Um, it's it's kind of the industry standard. I know there's MRI and a few other softwares, but it, it's it's difficult. And then we were told that that would be the case, but it takes a few months. Our team's done an incredible job. So it took us four or five months to get onboarded. Um, and we're there and we brought in our first assets um, in April. And between now and July 30th, we'll bring in another 13 assets and should have all of our properties onboarded by the end of the third quarter, um, which is huge for us. Uh, we have the scale to do it. We were able to create a whole new fixed revenue line item. And it also gives us an incredible ability to have further to further our ability to negotiate with vendors um, at the property level that we just couldn't do when we use third parties. And so we are actively onboarding. Um, It's been a busy quarter doing that. Uh, It'll be a really busy end of second quarter, early third quarter, but um, it was an amazing decision. And I think it's something that not only helps us achieve costs, but it gives us a better direct relationship with our tenants, which I think will prove um, beneficial as we move forward. 
And then just a few cool things that we've built through uh, technology on our FOS platform. We built a rent relief tracker. I get, I see it every morning. I can see which tenants have have submitted for rent relief, what they requested, where we are in the process, and it's live every day. Uh, we built a loan tracker dashboard. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of small businesses and medium sized businesses that can probably relate to this. Um, you know, we had 30 or 40 loans. Uh, at one point, they were all tracked in a spreadsheet, but they have lots of covenants and maturity dates, and it wasn't an interactive spreadsheet. And so, like all things, they get kind of saved in a file and maybe you forget about thing or two. And uh, we built a loan tracker that is updated daily. So I can see every loan, I can click on it and it see all of our covenants. Every time we pay down principal, it automatically adjusts so I can see, you know, what we owe in principal. I can see what we've paid in principal that month across the whole portfolio or across the property. I can look at the data however I want. I can see which loans that we're trying to refinance or modify. Uh, They change a different color when we start working on them. And we built this amazingly interactive dashboard and it's been huge. Um, And again, just something that when you're busy and everything's you know good, you just aren't thinking about as much. We always knew we needed to do it, but the team built one in the last 60 days, and I, it's awesome. I look at it every day, and I'm super proud of it. We have a vendor savings dashboard, so every time we save money, it's input into our database, and the whole team can see how we saved the money. Um, it's it's through a it's through, just through a public dashboard that we've built. And again, it's not the big things that you save money on. Those are the more obvious, but it's, I think people forget that if you are able to save, call it $100 a month on something or $200 a month on something, $200 a month is $2,400 a year. And if you put that on a five cap, and I'm just doing simple math, not everything's on a five cap, but saving $200 a month is an increase of $48,000 in value on your property. So you don't have to go save thousands of dollars a month or tens of thousands of dollars a month on your property. Every $100 is basically you know, close to $24,000 a year in value that you save. And so you can spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to save a couple dollars here and there, and it can go a long way. And so it's been a blessing. We've had 60 to 90 days to focus on nothing but that. Again, I said earlier that our goal is to save 10% of property uh, level operating expense by the end of the year, and uh, we're we're damn close. We'll we'll know once we have our final valuations back from our property tax um, reappraisals. But we're on the way. Uh, I think I would just end it by saying uh, something not real estate related necessarily. But if you haven't watched the last uh, the last dance, the Michael Jordan documentary on. Uh, ESPN. It's just been an incredible, it's been been incredibly inspirational to watch, especially during a time like this where uh, you can often feel like your back's against the wall or you don't want to get out of bed and go fight on another day. Um, Just remembering Michael, the Michael Jordan that everybody knew of the late 80s and 90s and the Chicago Bulls of the 90s. It's a 10 episode docuseries and it is, it is so awesome. I literally listened to the uh, the Chicago Bulls theme song on the way to work, but it's helped me think, rethink about leadership, what it's like to be passionate about something, how being a leader is not always the easiest thing to do, and it has it, it, it 
it's not easy to be a leader because it, being a leader isn't always fun. It comes with tough conversations and making sacrifice and uh, doing things that others aren't willing to do. And just seeing it in the context of Michael Jordan's life has been kind of a shot in the arm uh, that, that's really been great. Um, and if you're looking for something to, to build you up a little, I would highly recommend watching it. He certainly set an amazing example for what it's like to be uh, dedicated and the best at your craft. So with all that, that's kind of where I see the world in the last 30 days as it relates to real estate and kind of our little area of the world here in Texas. I will do it again in 30 days. Thank you for joining me. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.